It's October 16th, 1888, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. So it was today in history in 1888 that George Lusk, the president of the Mile End Vigilance Committee, received an unsettling letter through the post. It read... From hell, Mr. Lusk. So, I send you half the kidney I took from one woman, preserved it for you. T'other piece, I fried and ate. T'was very nice. I may send you the bloody knife that took it out, if only you wait a while longer. Signed, catch me if you can, Mr. Lusk. But what's really unsettling, apart from the fact that the writer... I mean, all of that was unsettling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is unsettling. Of it was very unsettling. <laughs> I was terrified. <laughs> okay, well, apart from my terrifying reading and the fact that the writer had phonetically slurred the word Mr., was the fact that it came alongside the very thing that the correspondent promised. Half a kidney, preserved in spirits, but still smelling utterly putrid. Okay, I mean, if you got a bit lost in the florid language there, uh, let me just hammer home to you what happened on this day. Bloke got sent half a kidney in the post, right? Just, I mean, leave aside all the other details about who sent it. Why was it there? Half a kidney got sent to a man on this day. That is why we're commemorating this. It was a shocker then. It's a shocker now. Half a verifiably human kidney. Yeah, and it was sent to a guy who, prior to this, had really been living his best Victorian life. George Lusk, he was a builder and he was specialising in renovating music halls. A great period of time to be doing that. He had been appointed head of this new grassroots effort to identify Jack the Ripper. He was really having a great time. He's 50 years old, a father of seven, very respectable. He'd been elected to the head of the committee by his fellow tradesmen. They had their first meeting on the 10th of September, which was two days after the second murder, which I actually think is very quick work for them because you... Mm. At that point, it was only just becoming clear that there was a serial killer operating, but already there was a feeling in the community in the East End that police response had been sluggish. And actually, at the time the committee was formed, Jack the Ripper hadn't actually been coined yet. The killer was being called either just the Whitechapel Killer or Leather Apron, which I think is much spookier. The Jack the Ripper name was coined in another letter, probably a fake, that was sent to the Central News Agency on the 27th of September, the so-called Dear Boss Letter. Yeah, because over the course of all the Whitechapel murders, the police and newspapers and various other people were all receiving letters. They numbered into the hundreds and some were actually well-intentioned offers of advice or information that people thought might be relevant to help catch the killer. But the vast majority of them were either hoaxes or generally useless. Which is an extraordinary thing, isn't it? Like I think of hoaxes, because this isn't just like kids calling 999 and pretending their building's on fire. Not that I'm recommending that, but it's something that, you know, we all know someone who did that. This is pretending you're a serial killer who had mutilated at this point four women within one square mile of each other. The hunt was on to find an obviously psychopathic, psychotic, probably cannibal. And Mm. you think, yeah, yeah, sounds like a laugh. All right, letter about that. (laughs) I mean, I just find that extra. I mean, there wasn't much fun going on at this time. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, you think about the Penny Dreadful thing. People kind of like vicariously living through this and the tabloid gore and all of that but the fact that that was then realized by people actually writing actual letters to actual police officers wasting their time trying to hunt a notorious serial killer by pretending they had information is staggering Mm. to me i i think it seems so weird and so gross now but in a world without twitter 
I think it was understood as being an ex- not acceptable, but an understandable outlet for what we would call, you know, like sick humour. It seems like that's how people understood it at the time. Lusk thought that his letter might have been a joke by medical students. He thought that might be where the kidney mm. had come from. And some of the hoax letters really do imply that this is a bunch of students maybe having a good time. Is, some of them are very, very campy. There was one that was sent to a Dr. Openshaw who ended up being the guy who examined the kidney. And it's it just the part of it just reads I was going to operate again close to your hospital just as I was going to draw me knife along her blooming throat them cusses the coppers spoilt the game where you're like okay well this is someone you know camping it up excessively (laughs) you can imagine that Lusk must have had very mixed feelings about it when he received this letter because on the one hand it obviously would have been unsettling because it contained a piece of a human organ in it uh, but also I can't imagine name... what's on the other hand to make him feel alright about it Harry <laughs> well I suppose he must have known that there were there was a lot of hoax activity going on and that no people... that wouldn't be reassuring I think, like, <laughs> this, this guy knows where I live as well because it was delivered to his home address Well, it seems like by this point, the job was taking a bit of a toll on Lusk's nerves. He'd been having quite a lot of encounters with weird people and he'd been sent creepy letters. Just before he received the From Hell letter, he asked for police protection because he believed a bearded man was following him, which could well be true. You know, not only could it have been the killer, but it could have just been someone who was unhealthily obsessed with the case. But it does seem like there is at least an element of paranoia that was creeping in. Yeah, so this is now considered to be perhaps of the three letters that seemed the most credible Jack the Ripper letters. <laughs> this seems to be the one that's the most credible because A, it came with the human piece of material and indeed Catherine Eddowes, uh, who had been found in Whitechapel, was missing a kidney when her body was mutilated. And it, it was a human kidney. It was a kidney belonging to an adult human with alcohol dependency, which fitted the bill and was taken out of a body at roughly the same date that she was murdered. So all of that gives it credibility. There's still, I think, a really healthy dose of scepticism you can apply to all three of these Jack the Ripper letters because... In this case, as Arian was saying, George Lusk by this point was a public figure, basically. He's been reported in the newspapers every day. So just like the first two were sent to the news organisation, like the equivalent of sending it to the Associated Press these days, so that indicates someone who's probably educated or a journalist to think, let's send it to a media organisation. Just so the third one is kind of like the really obvious, let's send it to the guy who's in the news. Like if you're going to write a fraudulent letter, because that's apparently the hobby of people then send it to the guy who's in the news writing to Queen Victoria asking for money to catch Jack the Ripper and and attach a a kidney to it. It doesn't have to be the one that came from (laughs) the victim. I think that's why the letters hold such a fascination because they're probably all hoaxes, I Mm. think, probably. But if they were true, what might they tell us? What You know, if it was actually written by the hand of Jack the Ripper, what could we learn from it? You know, the From Hell letter is a really interesting one in particular because the language is so peculiar and the spelling is all over the place and seems to be phonetic, but maybe phonetic of an accent. So was it a poorly educated local? Was it a foreigner with a shaky grasp of English? Or was it someone completely different? Was it an educated person who was trying to throw the pursuers off the scent. 
But I think exactly what both of you have just said is what is so compelling about Jack the Ripper, that we all have the opportunity to speculate on who it was. But those speculations are so interestingly connected to the time at which they're made. So apparently in the immediate aftermath of the murders, Jack the Ripper became this sort of children's bogeyman and depictions of him were really sort of monstrous or phantasmic or something. And then in the 1920s and 30s, he became a sort of everyman, a a fallen man who, you know, was a normal person who became bad. And by the 1960s, then the image that I think that has lasted until this day took off, which is that he was an aristocrat of some kind. And there was this literal sort of, you know, was he a doctor? You know, was he a member of the high society? But I think also the metaphorical aspect of it allows you to think about all of the things that were probably problematic in the era that could have led to this hideous and quite gruesome series of murders. And those are things connected to the vast uh, inequality between rich and poor. Now, Rebecca, you've been playing your cards close to your chest. (laughs) I'm not Jack the Ripper. You're not Jack the Ripper. (laughs) That's what Jack the Ripper would say. (laughs) (laughs) What is the equivalent of like a directioner for Jack the Ripper? You are one of those, aren't you? I'm not a Ripperologist, but I know where you're going with this. And yes, I have been on a Jack the Ripper walking tour. (laughs) And do you know what? It was one of the most surreal things. I think some friends were going and they got tickets, but then they couldn't go or something. So we went, me and my husband went by ourselves. And I have to say, it was one of the most surreal experiences because you're walking down Brick Lane, which is obviously a very busy, popular area of London. And the person who was leading the tour had this little projector. So they would be standing next to a curry house where some innocent waiter was trying to lure people inside for, you know, a £10 deal. This is where he ate the demon vindaloo. A crowd of people are standing next to the restaurant while the tour leader projects an image of a woman's autopsy onto the wall. (laughs) Would you like nouns with that? (laughs) This episode first aired last year exclusively to members of Club Retrospectors. Join today and unlock a new episode this Sunday. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. We love our pets, but when the floor is covered in fur, that's harder to love. Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has powerful 8,000 PA suction to make hair vanish from floors in just one pass. Plus, the roller brush has automatic detangling for easy hands-free maintenance. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.